we are repentant. We are grateful. We are redeemed. We are prayerful. We are First Baptist Church. Much. Well, if you are new with us today um, or have been visiting for just a few weeks, let me again remind you that we are thrilled to have you with us. And if you have yet to let us know you've been worshiping with us, would you do us the honor of going to uh, this link on the screen? It's fbcsa.org slash connect. We really do want to connect with you. And for this season, this is how we're going to do it. So let us know that you're here and we promise to connect with you later, whether here or at home. It may be that this is the first time you're watching and worshiping with us online. Thank you so much for joining us in worship and connect through this link as well. Also, let me encourage you to continue to give to the ministry of the First Baptist family. Um, We know that God is faithful to equip and lead us to love this city, to testify to the beauty and glory of His Son far and wide. Um, And we know He's also called us to give to that ministry. So thank you for your faithfulness to continue to do that. And you can also do that online by going to the link that you see on the screen. But thank you for your faithfulness uh, in giving. Well, we have been in this incredible series, at least I think it's incredible, and I, I think, maybe I'm you know, speaking out of turn here, but I think we've, we're kind of getting in a groove here of beginning to understand um, who the Holy Spirit is and what His role is in the life of the believer. And we've been in Romans chapter 8 for the past three weeks now, and before that, obviously, in other texts that have illuminated for us who the Holy Spirit is and what He does for us. And so what we know so far is that when a person enters into this relationship with God by faith in Jesus, the Son of God, who lived a life without sin, who died on the cross for our sin and rose victorious over sin, when we believe and put our faith in this person that, that we Um, are no longer condemned by our own sin, but we have been forgiven of sin because of who Jesus is and what he's done. Um, We enter in that relationship by faith. And we know upon faith, the Word of God says that we are baptized in the Spirit of God. That's what John meant by in baptism of the Holy Spirit. When he comes, he's going to be baptizing you in the Holy Spirit. And so we know that being baptized in the Holy Spirit has a lot of ramifications. What does that mean? We know that it means uh, for us, the people of faith, that we are now declared righteous, right? We're declared righteous, uh, and our sin no longer condemns us because of who Jesus is and what he's done. We know that we are now adopted as children of God into the kingdom of God. We're declared righteous, and we are given a brand new identity as children of God. We know that through the power of the Spirit, we have been freed from the bondage of sin and death. It no longer has a claim on us because of faith in Jesus and baptism of the Holy Spirit. We know because of Romans chapter 8, and we no longer have condemnation under sin, that we have fearless access to the Father. We can come to Him and say, Abba, Father. That's a benefit of the Holy Spirit. We know that also... Through the Holy Spirit, we have new ways of thinking. That's what we looked at last week, that the Spirit sets His mind on the things that please the Lord. So we know that one of the benefits of being baptized in the Spirit and living under the Spirit of life is that we have new ways of thinking about 
life? What is it all about? And how do we live this life? Those kind of thoughts begin to take shape. We know that most of that thinking, a new way of thinking, uh, the Holy Spirit points to the life and person of Jesus. Remember weeks ago we said one of the main roles of Jesus, uh, the Holy Spirit, is to manifest the glory of the Son, right? The role of the Spirit in your life is to help you see Jesus all the more clearly every, every day. That's how that new way of thinking begins to take shape. We know that through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we begin to have the spiritual means to go to war against sin and temptation. That's Romans 8, 13. All of these are benefits of being baptized in the Spirit of God, being children of God. We know that in the Spirit, on this side of eternity, we have a foretaste of the glory to come. A foretaste of the glory to come, and then we also have the promise of future glory. Um, And that's all over Romans chapter 8, the very bodily resurrection, the restoration of all of who you are, mind, soul, body, being recreated in the resurrection. And what we discover is that for the most of Romans chapter 8, Paul is telling us that the Spirit's focus is the finish line of this new journey we talked about last week, that you're on a new journey. Everything pointing to the fulfillment of God's promise of redemption or complete and total recreation of whom Jesus is the firstborn. And so the focal point and energy of Romans chapter 8 is, this is who you're becoming, and this is, who, um, this is what will be fulfilled in your life when you cross the finish line. All of it moves that direction. And so, again, we find ourselves right here on this new journey as if we've just received this, this racing bib, right? You know those things that you, if you're on a marathon, you, and we've, had, we've received this racing bib, and there's nothing that we've done on our own to make us qualified to be in this race. It's because of all of his incredible numbers that we're qualified for this race. But we find ourselves in this race, Um, being baptized in the Spirit of God, having all the benefits of the Spirit of God. And before us, there is a finish line somewhere that we cannot see, and we are called to run this race. But we do know that the end, the finish line, is that we would be glorified, that we would be completely restored, that we would have resurrected bodies, and that we would be made righteous like the Son of God. Pretty cool trajectory. But most of us, maybe I'm the only one in the room, but don't you often feel completely inadequate in the middle of that race? That you just don't measure up? You don't have what it takes? Um, You feel awfully weak? Um, You feel entangled sometimes? Um, You feel like you just in and of yourself, don't have what it takes, even sometimes to put the next foot forward. And this is where we find ourselves in, in fact, all of Romans chapter 8, but even particularly Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. So if you would stand with me, we're going to read those two verses, Romans 8, verses 26 and 27. So if you're at home, please stand with us. Certainly in the room, stand with us, and let's read this. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. 
For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. Awesome. You may be seated. You may be seated. So, um, many of you have passports, not all of you, but I want us to start thinking of this, this work of the Holy Spirit in the life kind of in the same way that we would understand a passport. So, I have a passport. I've had the privilege of traveling to a lot of different places, and that passport lets everyone know my identity. Every time I walk into, um, walk in, into a new airport, a different country, I pull out the passport. They look at it. They know this man belongs to the United States of America. He's an American citizen. But it's not just a declaration of my identity as American citizen, but it also lets everyone know these are the rights and privileges that this American citizen has. So in the same way, as we are on this journey with the Spirit of God, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a declaration of our new identity in Jesus, that we are children of God. But also, as I've already meant, there's a whole host of benefits, rights, and privileges. And it's these that we've already kind of walked through. And so as we turn to verses 26 and 27, I want you to know that this is just another incredible privilege and benefit that we have as children of God being redeemed through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And what in the world is that benefit as a child of God? Listen, Paul was very aware, and so are we, that until Jesus returns and we come into the fullness of our glory, in other words, new bodies, everything restored, everything recreated in the resurrection, until that day, we'll be carrying around a lot of dead weight. Paul's already told us early on in Romans chapter 8 that, listen, although the flesh, your body, this side of eternity... Um, is dying because it's being put to death. Um, that's its trajectory. It's going to die. It's still lingering. It's still holding on. It's still part of your experience in this race that you are now being equipped to run. It's still sticking around. And mostly because the reality is all of us are still tangling with our own infected minds and bodies, right? Our flesh is broken and dying um, but it still very much feels like it's alive. It's kind of like, um, how many of y'all have ever trained to be a lifeguard? Trained to be like many of you have? Um, so when, when I was a lifeguard and when I was being trained to be a lifeguard, they would say, if you have to jump in and rescue someone that's drowning, always extend to them the flotation device you've been given. Because if you just go and try to grab them without that flotation device, what's going to happen? They're dying, and they're just going to do everything that they can to survive. They're going to grab every limb that you give them. They're going to grab your shoulders, and you're going to find that they're going to end up just climbing all over you and pushing you down, so both of you would die. And so they said, just give them the flotation device. Let them grab on that so that they don't pull you under. Well, that's kind of the nature of our broken, sinful, dying flesh, that although it's destined to fully die, Right When Jesus returns, sin and death, no more. It's still, in its process of dying, will clamor and hold on to your life as best it can to seek to pull you down. 
Paul knows that. And the Spirit knows that. The Spirit knows that. The Spirit knows our weaknesses in all of that way. Um, And so the Spirit of God, knowing our weakness. And listen, what are some of the weaknesses that we face? Uh, We know this side of eternity, we still wrestle very much with temptation. The temptation to make immoral choices that have an adverse effect on our life and the people around us. We know that this side of eternity, that the effect of other people's sin on us is significant. Their sin affects us in our life today. We know that our very broken bodies, we are succumbed to illness and disease. My goodness, um, all of us have tasted that. Uh, From cancer to COVID-19, we live under these broken bodies that are susceptible to disease and decay. Um, And that's that dying flesh. We know that we wrestle with understanding and knowing God's will, which is where he's headed today. Paul says, you know, it's like we're looking through a milky glass. Uh, We can't see all the way through it. It's hard for us, because of the weakness of the flesh, for us to know God's perfect will. Now, we're called to know God's perfect will by the transformation of our minds. That's Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. But still, until Jesus returns, we wrestle in our weakness to know the will of God. And in this case, one of our weaknesses is that we don't know exactly how to pray. We don't know how to, exactly how to pray. But this text tells us um, that the Spirit of God knows these weaknesses. Verse 26, I love the word and because it lets us know this is another benefit. And, by the way, this is something else the Spirit does. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. The only way that the Spirit can help us in our weakness is if the Spirit of God knows our weakness. And He knows all of our weaknesses that we have, even the ones that we're not even aware of ourselves. So that's part of the benefit of being baptized in the Spirit of God. He knows all the unseen rough edges and insecurities and secret sin in your life. He knows your deepest wrestlings in this fight of faith, the things that you struggle with. He knows your suffering in your broken bodies, whether it be illness or something else. He knows these weaknesses. He knows your suffering with sin and temptation. And even when you don't know your weaknesses, the Spirit of God does. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our weaknesses. You know, everybody is going virtual these days because we have to. Uh, Even gyms and strength trainers are providing all of their resources to where you can do it at home. That's kind of the benefit that we have here in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is like um, the perfect in-ear coach for your life that knows all of your vitals, all of your weaknesses, all of the corrections needed in your running gait, all of your human frailties, and he knows everything about you in this journey, this new journey that we are called to run. That's what he knows, and that's good news for us. Furthermore, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse, first, verse 15, this is what it says about Jesus. Jesus sympathizes with our weaknesses. We don't have a high priest who's unsympathetic. He walked 
this planet. He was tempted by sin. He resisted every single one. But Jesus sympathizes with our weakness. This is helpful for us. That as the Holy Spirit knows every weakness that we have, he's also tremendously sympathetic towards those weaknesses. Now, this is what this means for us. That when the Holy Spirit sees and identifies every weakness that we have, that he does not look at those in an effort to condemn those weaknesses. Remember, we're already declared righteous. We already have victory through Jesus. But his aim in identifying those weaknesses is not condemnation, but transformation. Just like that coach. Just like that coach in the ear. He wants to identify weaknesses so that he can lead to transformation. And that has a significant effect on us because it also tells us that that's how we should look at other people's weaknesses and even our own weaknesses. That we shouldn't just compare ourselves to others, right? Because everyone's on their own journey and own places. Some of them have started early. Some of them have started later. Um, Nor should we judge other people in the journey. If the Spirit of God is sympathetic and Jesus is sympathetic, then we too are sympathetic. Now, that doesn't mean we don't do anything, but it means we, we move away from comparison and judgment to how can I be a part and lead to greater transformation. Very important. So the Spirit of God knows our weakness, but not only. This text tells us not only does he know our weaknesses, but he also knows God's will, which is pretty, pretty incredible. We read in Romans um, 27, 8, 27, it says this, And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit leads, pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. Now, this ports, points to one of our weaknesses because oftentimes when we pray, we don't pray in harmony with God's own will. But the Spirit of God knows our weakness, and when He prays and intercedes for us, He prays in harmony with God's Will. The Spirit knows God's will. James, the brother of Jesus, uh, when he wrote about prayer in James 4 3, he said, You know, um, you don't receive anything from God because you don't even ask God. And when you ask God, you ask with the wrong motives. Never does the Spirit of God ask with the wrong motives when he intercedes for us, and he's always asking in harmony with God's will. He never has the wrong motives, and he always knows the will of God. The Holy Spirit is in sync, in harmony with the Father and Son. Um, Just as an aside, this is kind of a really cool Trinitarian moment here that we see the harmony of of God with the Spirit. Uh, Of course, Romans 8.29 tells us that we are destined to be conformed to the image of the Son. So we have the, the Holy Spirit, the Father, and the Son in this inside working in the life of the believer. A really cool Trinitarian moment. A three, no, three notes in a threefold chord, right? Uh, musical chord, by the way. Um, they are one and yet uniquely different in how they work in the life of the believer. And also, just another thought, the feeling that we get from this text is that the Spirit of God, as I mentioned last week, the Spirit of God is far more interested in transformation in being as opposed to doing. Now, there's a reason for that, 
The reason is, is because that's the will of the Father, right? You'll be conformed to the image of the Son in who you are, right? And also because doing always comes out of being. And so the sense that we get is the Spirit knows the will of God, that the will of God is that you become more and more of who He's called you to be and has predestined you to be. Romans 8, 29. That's what the Spirit longs for, and that's because of His understanding of the will of God, being. And so if we were to apply that, um, I would say, some of you might disagree with me here, I would say the Spirit is less interested in who you are going to marry and more interested in the kind of person you will be in marriage. Yeah, I do think he's interested in that too, but I think he's more interested in the kind of person you will be when you are married. He's far less interested in the college you will attend and more interested in the kind of student and friend you will be wherever you land in college. He's far more interested in the kind of employee and, uh, um, and colleague you will be and less interested in the particular business you work for. He wants you to be, and out of that being we do. And so the Spirit of God knows our weakness. The Spirit of God knows the will of the Father. And then it would make sense, if those two are true, that the Spirit knows how best to pray for us when we do not know how to even pray for ourselves or pray for people around us. Right? He knows your weakness. He knows your frailty. He knows where you struggle. He knows where you suffer. He knows all of these things. And particularly, he knows that you are weak in prayer. He, he knows you don't know all the will of the Father in every circumstance of life. He knows our weaknesses, but he knows the will of the God, which means that he is best poised to intercede for you and pray for you. And that's the benefit that we have being baptized in the Spirit, being children of God, that we have an intercessor who knows our weakness and knows the will for the Father and knows how to pray for us. He knows how to pray. And just as an example, I just want to wrap up with kind of giving, giving you a biblical example of where I have seen this take place. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul begins to tell a story about his own journey. And, and just for context, um, he's trying to explain to the Corinthian church that I know a lot of you are doubting my apostleship. And he begins to compare himself to the other apostles. And he begins to share with them all the different revelations and things that God has revealed to him through the power of the Spirit. And uh, then in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, So that I wouldn't become too prideful, God gave me and sent to me a messenger of Satan, a thorn in the flesh. Again, God, the Spirit of God's interested in him being, right? I don't want you to be prideful. I want you to be humble. And so Paul then says, here's this very real thorn in my flesh. I, I am suffering. I'm weak. And so he goes to the Lord and prays three times. Lord, remove this. Now remove this. Now remove this. Now, clearly, if Paul in the moment knew the will of God in relationship to that weakness and suffering, he probably would not have prayed exactly like that. And so with our understanding of the nature of the Spirit of God, that the Spirit of God knows Paul's weakness, and the Spirit of God knows 
the will of the Father in Paul's life in that moment, we can understand and make a theological assumption that even as Paul didn't know exactly how to pray in that moment, that the Spirit of God interceded on Paul's behalf. And, and the Spirit of God said, he needs more grace. Give him more grace. Sustain him in his weakness. Sustain him in his weakness so that Jesus can be glorified in his life, even in those weak moments. I think that's a beautiful example of Paul not knowing all the right ways to play in his, pray in his moment of weakness in the Spirit of God interceding on his behalf, so much so that Paul is able to turn that corner and discern the will of God and say, um, I know God has given this to me, and he's given me grace, and all the more I will boast in Jesus in my weakness, Right? The Holy, Spirit has, the Holy Spirit has set his sights on the finish line in your life. That's what it tells us in verse 29. He has set his sights on the finish line. So when the Spirit of God prays for us in the same way that he prayed for Paul, he has the finish line in mind. He has future glory in mind. And that's the trajectory of the Holy Spirit's pray. The benefit of having the Holy Spirit in our life is that He knows all of our weakness and frailty this side of eternity. He knows the will of the Father for our life. And ultimately, He knows what we're all, we ought to look like at the finish line. And so we know that when the Spirit of God prays for you and prays for me and prays for us, that He prays with that finish line in mind. If, if, if you are to be more and more like Jesus, then I'm going to pray that in your moments of weakness, in the midst of suffering, that God would use those things to shape you even more to look like Jesus. You know, if that's the case, um, if that's how the Spirit prays for us, let me encourage you. You might not know all the details of how you ought to pray in every given moment. Um, but pray with the finish in mind. Um, ask God to help you in the things that you face and the weaknesses that you wrestle with, that God would even use those in the giving his, of, of his grace to be more and more like Jesus, to respond more and more like Jesus, to love more and more like Jesus, regardless of where you find yourself in life, to move you along in that direction. What a great benefit that we have in the Spirit of God. I'm going to invite you to stand, and we're going to move into a time of response. And um, this time of response, initially, we're going to invite you into a congregational reading. But let me ask you to contemplate and rejoice and be thankful for the Spirit of God. I mean, you can say to Him out loud, thank you that you pray for me even when I don't know how to pray. Thank you that you're aware of my weaknesses and know the will of God for my life. Rejoice in the work of the Spirit of God as you respond today. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for this added benefit of your Spirit.
that even in the midst of our greatest weaknesses, whether it be temptation or suffering of one kind or another, that as children of God, we have that advocate, the Holy Spirit who knows those weaknesses and yet knows the will of the Father and therefore knows how to pray for us so that we can become more and more like Jesus. Lord, that's what we long for. We want to be more and more like your son. And so we say thank you. We say thank you to your spirit and we rejoice in your son Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen, amen. First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.